What if I told you that you could help solve the hospitality recruitment crisis with just £10? You'd say, shut up, take my money, wouldn't you? Well, that's exactly what a new initiative called Hospitality Rising is going to do. Between now and May the 12th, we are raising £5 million to fund the biggest hospitality recruitment advertising campaign that the UK and beyond has ever seen. We want to double the amount of people who would consider working in hospitality. Think army, be the best, but for hospitality. All we need from you is £10 per employee that you have in your business and together we can stop this recruitment crisis forever. Go to hospitalityrising.org now to find out how you can help today and don't forget to tell your HR team and your CEO. Supersonic! 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 Supersonic. Supersonic. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. The rocket fuel podcast for food, drink and hospitality businesses everywhere. Listen up, tell all your friends and share with your colleagues. Every single episode is packed full of tips, tricks and advice on how you can make your brand boom. Hi, are you still using a trunk system to manage your tips? Well, if you are, you're working way, way, way too hard. Tipjar is HMRC cleared and uses tech to enable your customers to tip your staff directly. Find out more at wearetipjar.com. Join the tipping revolution. A creative agency for the hospitality sector, Saved by Robots create compelling brands and memorable experiences through great design and engaging storytelling. From Scottish Restaurant of the Year Sugar Boat to Tip Jar, the digital tipping platform that's taken over the world, Saved by Robots excel at bringing ideas to life. As well as developing new concepts and refreshing existing brands, the robots provide outsourced graphic design to help multi-site operators grow with confidence. Check out their work and get in touch at savedbyrobots.com. So it's another Friday recording for a Tuesday release and the sun is blinding my eyes from the water on Brighton seafront. So very, very lovely and exciting and a great way to end the week, if not going a little bit squinty and blind. So I hope you're having a great day wherever you are and thanks again for tuning in. We have a very, very special guest for you today. A man that really needs no introduction, so I'm not going to do a huge one. It is Robin Hudson, OBE, a new friend through Hospitality Rising, a big advocate of it and a huge supporter, which we will touch on in the interview. But also, we can talk through his career in hospitality, being at the Savoy Group and then the Barclay, Paris, Bermuda, Chewton Glen, Hotel Duvan and being one of the co-owners of that. And then some Soho House chat, not before we go on to the main event, which is talking about the pig. And I've just realised, damn it, I didn't talk to Robin about his OBE and getting it and what it was like. We'll save that for next time. So it gives me a hell of a hotelier pleasure ever to introduce my next guest, who is the incredible man that is Robin Hudson OBE. Hello. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Sunny and bright and Friday. I have got a face-to-face meeting at half four, though, which I... 
can't be asked to go and do it. I just would like to pack up my tools, but um, I need to go and do it. So yeah, it'll be nice to get and get some fresh air rather than being at my desk all the time. So that'll Very be cool. Good. But yeah, but just back from um, the NRB up in um, Manchester and I saw Nick Jones speaking. Right. <laughs> it was absolutely brilliant. That's a rare, rare occurrence to, to get Nick to speak. That's yeah, funny. so I heard. But uh, yeah, they're planning Manchester soon. Yeah. So they were talking about all that. And he was quite interesting about how he described himself. He was saying he's a failed restaurateur and he describes himself as a caterer. <laughs> so that might be a good jumping off point for us then. How would you sum it up in terms of what you do, how, how you would identify? Well, uh, Nick and I share quite a lot of uh, common ground in this regard. Um, I do remember doing a joint interview with Nick some years ago um, when we were when when I was at Soho House, and um, I think we worked out we had about three uh, uh, O levels between us or something, you know. Right. Um, and so there's there's definitely uh, some 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 common ground there. But look, you know, I think <clears throat> the whole point about hospitality is that. Um, what we do is really not rocket science, is it? You know, we're not, we're not, you know, uh, splitting atoms or anything like that. You know, we're, 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 we're doing what um, can come naturally to some people, which is, is, is looking after them, providing them with a bed for the night and some sustenance. And, and, you know, that's, as that's probably um, second to the, to the oldest profession in the world, maybe, but um, you know, it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's it really doesn't have to be that complicated uh, of course we live in a, a, a digital age these days and so the, the, there are a whole a raft of other aspects but the when you strip it back to to what we all do it, that that's it yeah much. and i mean obviously in terms of the the great venues that you've got and hotels and restaurants and all these other things what what is the dna that's sitting between all of those, have you got like a central point that you always look at and think to, or is it a kind of case by case thing? No, I think I think there are some central themes through um, through what I've always done, rightly or wrongly, um, and um, I think um, trying to um, to get the the sort of priorities in order. So we've always talked about um, if you get the if you look after the people and get the the product right then the profit follows on you know so uh, rather than i rather fear too many businesses start from from the other end of 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 of, of, of that list mm. um and we believe wholeheartedly in um in a spirit of generosity so and that's everything from how we look after our people uh to how we look after our guests and our suppliers and 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 all the other stakeholders in our business, really, you know, and it, and it, a lot of it doesn't really cost very much. Um, it, you know, it, it can be generosity of, of time, um, uh, uh, just as easily as generosity of something that has a, has a, a, a you know, a, a monetary value. Mm -hmm. And is that a spirit you've had, you know, so going back, you know, and, and today we are going to touch on careers in hospitality and, how that all, you know, came about for you. So going back, you know, is that something you'd picked up at Claridge's when you were starting out or were you starting hospitality even before then? I, I suppose, I mean, when I started at Claridge's, I was, uh, you know, 18 and didn't know my, 
asked for my elbow, really. <laughs> yeah, so, so um, uh, you know, I, I certainly, I don't think I really uh, acknowledge that that kind of uh, subtlety within within hospitality. But I suppose, you know, through the years, and uh, in particular, uh, probably the last sort of 25, 30 years since since I've been um, on the entrepreneurial end of of uh, uh, of the business and working for myself, you know, kind of working through those theories um, uh, for my own businesses and and seeing that they actually they do work and and you know there's there's a result at the end of it. So so I think it's a it's it's been gradually evolving uh, over, over you know it's quite a long time I've been in the business now and um, uh, so it's uh, it's thick end of fifty years really mm. and and and. And like all of us, your your views get um, uh, more finely honed as you go through the years. Yeah. And what? Why hospitality? Why did you get into it? Um, it's a uh, <laughs> um, by mistake, sort of. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I was um, the the real story is um, I was brought uh, I was brought up in in southeast London. Um, and I went to an all-boys school in New Cross. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, at the age of 14, it was a pretty sort of rough period of time in, in, in London in those days. And at the age of 14, my parents took the decision that we should move out of London to Surrey. And so I went from an all-boys school at the age of 14 to, um, to a mixed school, a mixed grammar school. Mm-hmm. So at the age of 14, quite clearly, this was, you know, like a kid in a sweet shop because like, you know, all of a sudden, you know, there were other things to occupy my mind. Uh, like, uh, for example? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we won't go into that. But, but <laughs> That's the X-rated, uh, yeah, extended version of the podcast. <laughs> but, but suffice to say that... Um, uh, you know, my my ten O levels didn't quite materialise, and um, I ended up with two English and art as my as my clutch uh, at um, at the age of sixteen. So I wasn't exactly invited to attend the sixth form, mm-hmm. um, and I think my mother was pulling her hair out and thought, "What are we going to do with this boy?" Yeah, and. Um, uh, I used to enjoy messing around in the kitchen. Mum was a good cook, as was her mother. Um, and I I always enjoyed, you know, kind of doing stuff with her in the kitchen. And she said, what about learning to become a chef? Um, and I looked at the 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 brochure for, for sort of catering college. Mm-hmm. And um, I saw that to become a chef, you only needed two O-levels and I had three. So I was rather indignant about that. And, <laughs> and the next, the next line on the page was hotel operations or something, which included some cooking. Um, and, uh, if I got one more O-level, then, then I could, I could attend that. So that's what I did. So, so it was kind of by default really. And, uh, and then I realized obviously that I, 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 I enjoyed it. So it made, made all the difference. But you didn't quite pick the local B and B, you know. You like you ended up going to Claridge's. So, you know, was that was that the first place you were at, or did you go to a couple of hotels before? When I had holiday jobs in the local hospital, the local pub, washing up, you know, all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, 
I did okay at college and um, managed to get through a selection interview with the with the Savoy training scheme. Um, so the Claridge's was part of the Savoy uh, uh, hotel group at that time. And um, yeah, they took me on as a as a as a post college trainee basically. So so I um, at the age of eighteen I moved back to London, and my first job yeah was a um, I always say a cockroach at Claridge's because you know. You, you couldn't get much lower than the, than the role I was. I just used to run up and down a very long flight of stairs with a tray that was larger than I was wow. piled. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure the health and safety boys these days wouldn't <laughs> quite, uh, allow such practice. And there were some dreadful accidents up and down these concrete stairs. But um, but that, yeah, that's what I, I used to run up and down from the kitchen to the restaurant. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, it was. Uh, that was the beginning of, of life in hospitality. And then you spun out from the, uh, was it straight to um, Berkeley and then Paris and then Bermuda? Was that, that seems Something quite like an interesting that. time. Yeah. yeah. Um, they, you know, the, the scheme was based around gaining um, experience in all the various departments. And so, you know, you did six months here, there and everywhere. And I went from the Claridge's to, um, they had a they had a, a restaurant a grill restaurant um, uh, at that time which was rather like Simpsons in the Strand mm-hmm. called Stone's Chop House. Actually, it would be bang on trend now. To yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, that'd have been great. But it was um, in Pantom Street, just behind Leicester Square, where Maxim's was for a while. You know there. Mm-hmm. And um, so I went there as a barman. Um, uh, I learnt. Um, Lots about how to um, fiddle drinks for yourself and all that sort of thing. You know, I mean, it, was, it was it was sort of wild west of, of catering, really. Uh, but I also learnt how to make cocktails under a fantastic cocktail barman, Peter Dorelli, who ended up at the the Savoy. And yeah, you know, I mean, fascinating time. And and for a for a non academic uh, kid. Mm. Uh, loads of practical skills that you could impress your mates with and you know it was quite quite good fun really <laughs> and um, uh, and what were the dif- what were the differences then when you went to you know the other countries you know did you see a different kind of hospitality um yeah so when i was about uh, so sort of two or three years into it they they liked you to go abroad for a for a um a year so i went to paris uh, i worked at the creon in paris which is an amazing hotel um, and certainly, um, you know, in those days, the sort of grand hotels were, were very, um, regimented in their, in their approach. Um, uh, so, you know, but I think it just, the whole travel experience or living abroad, you know, it just brought, it just, you know, opens your eyes, mm. um, really. And so I'm, I did that, came back to London. Uh, I ended up as front office manager at the Barclay at a very young age, and and um, which was a dream job. I mean, it was really incredible. Uh, you know, I'd have, I used to look after all the reservations, so I'd have A-list celebrities on speed dial, you know, kind of oh. ringing me, begging me for rooms and all this sort of thing. So, <laughs> you know, Dustin Hoffman and Dinah Ross and Arthur Khan and, you know, I mean, you name it. It's uh, sort of... All sorts of sorts of people, um, and so that was that was pretty exciting stuff. And then I met my wife, and we decided to travel again. So we went to um, 
Bermuda for two years. I had a, I had this thing in my head about living on a tropical island. So um, yeah, we went there for a couple of a couple of years, and there it was. Uh, I mean, the interesting thing in terms of uh, what you learn, um, uh, we were catering to very much uh, uh, an East Coast American clientele. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it, 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 understanding that, that difference was, was, was really uh, fascinating. And I worked for a, um, uh, an out-and-out hospitality marketeer, a guy called John Jeffries in uh, Elbow Beach Hotel in, in, in Bermuda. And, uh, you know, I think he's the first person that opened my eyes to marketing mm-hmm. um, at the Savoy Group. Prior to that, it had, we were almost anti-marketing. You know, you had to be of the right caliber to stay there and all this sort of thing. You know, I mean, it was all very old school. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, working for John in, in, in Bermuda was, um, was, was great, great stuff. I remember a moment where we sat around at a management meeting and um, he showed us a tin of paint and he'd done a deal to put Elbow Beach as a kind of prize or something on this tin of paint. And, and you know, they, it was a, it was a paint tin that sold millions in, in the States and, you know, kind of, you know, I thought, ah, oh, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. So, <laughs> <laughs> But was he not worried about diluting the brand by it going on a mass market piece no, of I kit? Think- I, th- I think the the American pr- approach isn't quite as um, uh, I mean uh, for a start it was a it was a sort of four star uh, resort property so mm. so it was it, it was aimed at a broader market um, uh, and I just think you know because of the level of competition in and around America you mm. just have to get that sort of penetration if that's your key market yeah and what were the differences then you're saying about the East Coast clientele what, what was it they wanted that was different um i mean clearly in by by our london traditional hotel standards um uh, uh they uh, they were not as discerning as um as as i'd been used to at the, at the savoy group um you know kind of it was a bit more um uh how much food can you get on your plate from the buffet? You know, and, and it was a, it was a bit of that yeah. going on, um, and um, yeah, and just you know, you've 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 worked with Americans and and, and you know, the Middle America, and this was although this was East Coast, there was still an uh, you know an element of that um, uh, travel naivety, I suppose, mm-hmm. from 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 the crowd that were coming, and and uh, so they would judge a place by, you know, I don't know how many free terrible cocktails they got, uh, rather than you know, kind of uh, other other standards, perhaps. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was just yeah, loads and loads of differences. I mean, they are horrible generalizations I've just given you, but but um, but yeah, there was an element of, of that, and and it was a yeah, it was a real shift in um, in the culture from from where I'd been in this rarefied uh, London scenario. Yeah, and then just finishing off, you know, getting to where you are right now. Then, so I jump across to Chewton Glen. Yeah, as well. Was that a huge jump? Did that feel quite seismic when you were leaving? 
Yeah, I mean, what happened was um, uh, I was on a two-year work uh, permit and, and there was a local Bermudian that wanted my job, so my permit didn't get renewed. Mm. Um, and I was sort of, I was casting around what to, to, you know, what to do next, really. And uh, I was offered a job, actually, by uh, Peter de Savary down in Antigua. Um, and so we... I remember Judy and I sat on the beach in Bermuda and we were sort of trying to work out whether to go deeper into the Caribbean mm. and people had warned us about getting too much sand under our feet, you know, right. <laughs> um, uh, or uh, I was then offered a, 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 what I considered was a real dream career job, which was, um, it was GM at Chewton Glen. And I was, I was really young and, you know, I mean, uh, Martin Scan, the owner of Chewton Glen, uh, took a real flyer um, on me um, because I wasn't—I didn't have the experience. There's no doubt, and he definitely held my hand for a couple of years and uh, so on. But uh, I think I was only 28 years old when I was GM at Chewton Glen or something like that. Um, anyway, it worked out pretty well, and I stayed eight years. Yeah. Why? Why do you think he saw something in you? What do you think it was? Um. I th I think at the time um, they'd had a very uh, at, th at that time it was uh, 1986 mm -hmm. um, and hospitality food um, uh, was really beginning to be on the change and I think he could sense that and felt that the the old style. Um, perhaps needed some needed a bit of a fresh look mm -hmm. and you know no matter how much you analyze these things it's about how you get on with someone you know i mean i've made so many appointments all my life uh you know literally on gut feel and 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 you know i'd like to think that most of them have gone okay you know? yeah 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 <laughs> this was but, the old traffic jam thing isn't it could you be stuck in the car with them yeah yeah Brilliant. Exactly. <laughs> and then and then from there obviously starting your own brand and this you know takes me back a couple of days to, to see Nick Jones speaking about the same thing what a crazy brave thing to do you know to just go from being employed to then all in yeah I mean it was I, I think perhaps because I had started that job when I was very young I'd got you know eight years under my belt as a GM and I was 36 years old so you know I mean it, it was um, so it was partly driven by that, and I and I had to talk to myself and say, is this what I want to do for the rest of my life, mm -hmm. or is there some other version of this? And um, the wind of change was really starting to happen. Uh, so this we're now talking early nineties, mm -hmm. and. Um, it was just when what we now know as modern British food was starting in, in, in London, only in London, you know, Conran's first restaurants of Quaglino's and Mezzo, mm -hmm. Alistair Little with his restaurant, Anthony Warren Thompson, those sort of guys um, were, were all just um, sort of starting out and changing the, the order of things. And with that came a much more, um, uh, uh, a much easier style to to hospitality so you know and certainly in in the sticks we were still you know really quite formal 
um, although I was trying to deformalize Tutan Glen, you know, I was sort of up against it. You know, there were uh, there was an expectation that gentlemen would wear jackets for dinner. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and no kids in the restaurant after seven o'clock, and you know, bloody blah, you know, all these kind of weird rules and regulations. And I found myself upholding um, upholding the rules of a sort of regime that I didn't really believe in anymore. Yeah, because I could see what was happening in in London, and and so that was that was part of the impetus to. Uh, and I I thought well. If it's happening in London and nothing is happening outside London, what about trying it in a provincial area to sort of change the the style? So uh, we found, uh, you know, we, we started Hotel de Van in 94 with the first one in Winchester. Mm-hmm. And is that Which where you about, are now? About 200 metres from where I'm sitting. <laughs> That's amazing. But, I, I mean, it sent shockwaves through, you know, the hospitality and, and catering industry. So, you know, it really was the place to be. And where I'm in Brighton right now, obviously there's one not too far away, a um, few streets back. Um, but yeah, in terms of setting that whole thing up then, so name, brand, branding, DNA, offer, you know, how did you go through all that? Was it learn as you go? Had you a lot of it kind of in the chamber ready to go? Or how did that work? No, it's definitely flying by the city of your pants, to be honest. Yeah. It was, um, I mean, first and foremost, I didn't have any money. Um, mm. You know, I had two kids that I was trying to put through private education. Uh, so that kind of absorbed, and a mortgage, so that absorbed my salary, and Judy was working as well. Um, uh, so I didn't I didn't have any, 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 you know, reserve in the tank, as it were, yeah. uh, from a financial basis. So the first thing was, to try to raise some money. So, you know, I put together uh, what I would look at now and think is a very half-assed um, business plan mm-hmm. um, and then hawked it round anyone I thought had more than a couple of bob in their pocket. <laughs> um, and um, eventually, and I, you know, a real big lesson through that was, um, you know, there's a lot of, difference between people saying yeah it's a great idea and you're finding this out at the moment yep to to people writing the check Mm -hmm. and uh, so you sort of kiss a lot of frogs as it were you know to 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 get anywhere uh but anyway eventually i put I, i put a raft of investors together 14 of them and we raised um uh about half a million quid at the time um and um, we'd found this building in, in Winchester. I'd asked Gerard, um, who was my head sommelier at, um, at Tutan Glen, I'd recruited him there. And uh, I'd asked him if he, if he, what he was doing next. And, you know, he was talking about maybe going to America to write about wine and so on. Wow. Anyway, one thing led to another and we, we started talking about really a, a boutique hotel with a wine school. That's how it started. Mm. Uh, we opened, we thought, well, let's get the hotel open. We'll worry about the wine school after. And we were so busy that we never got the wine school open, in fact. Oh. <laughs> so so it's, um, but anyway, we put together a raft of investors. Uh, we borrowed a load of money from um, Royal Bank Scotland at the time. Interest rates were at 12.5% my first loan. Uh, for seven hundred thousand pounds from RBS, 
Um, I put, I mean, the bravest, the bravest person in all this is Judy because she allowed me to put the house up for a guarantor for the business. So, um, she, uh, she, uh, she said, okay, if you believe in it, you know, we'll do it. So that the, the, basically the equity in the house was the, the, the guarantee for the business, mm. the loan. Um, and, um, we did, a. we opened the, the, the first hotel in October 94 with 14 bedrooms. Yeah. Amazing. And what sort of inspired all the like little touches and all this a different thing? Were you bringing all that experience from around the world? Or did you have, you know, because you had art back at all level, you know, were you always kind of quite passionate about that side of things? You know, because it was one of a kind at the time and then much copied after. I think, I mean, to be honest, we still do the same thing now. We, we you know, there's a, there's a high level of personal um uh, uh, of, of, of our own person in in our in our properties, mm-hmm. and um, you know even now when people talk to us about design of the pigs and everything, what we do is we put together a load of stuff that we like, and and you know it ends up in in, in the hotel. There are some at the time there were some sort of technical bits I suppose that weren't being adopted by the majority of hoteliers, so. You know, it struck me that why, when the nation is sleeping under duvets, do most hoteliers give you blankets and sheets? It, this we're talking about, you know, in ninety yeah. early nineties. So I think we were one of the first to put duvets on the bed. <laughs> um, the um, why do they insist, and they still do now, on serving up those stupid little UHT milk capsules? You know, yeah. we were the first to put fresh milk in the in 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 the la- in the uh, mini bars. Um, fresh coffee, you know, I mean, just decent pressure of hot water, you know, and, and so we there was a, there was probably a dozen points like that, that um, we just, they felt the right thing to do at the time. Mm. And I, I don't think I'd particularly learnt that anywhere, other than general observation and what I would like to happen in a hotel room. And, uh, and so and with only 14, maybe we were we had the luxury of being able to achieve some of that where others couldn't with larger operations. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was a a question of putting those elements together Mm -hmm. and, um, it, 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 it created a certain formula, which, you know, we caught the, no doubt we caught the zeitgeist of the moment, you know? Yeah. No, I think you're right though. Like with the bigger hotel chains, it's like, it's almost too hard for them to take trouser presses out of, you know, they've just kind of got to leave it there. But I've, I've just uh, stayed at the Brewdog Hotel in Manchester for yeah. the last couple of nights. And uh, it was really sort of on brand for me. But there was loads of nice touches, you know, where wireless um, chargers for your phone next to your bed, not even the the plugs next to the bed, you know, it was just... And because they've started them now, I suppose, yeah. they've got the advantage. Um yeah. But yeah, we guitar in the room, vinyl turntables. I was in hipster heaven, you know, <laughs> shower, shower beer, <laughs> which is yeah. which is fun. Um, so then, you know, with that, and in terms of how then uh, Hotel Devan evolved, and then obviously Yexted and, and all that stuff, what sort of happened there? And also, I'm always thinking, was Malmaison part of you or after you? Yeah. So. Um... I guess for, 
we managed to to grow the business. We added, we started looking for other uh, locations that are a little bit like Winchester. So first of all, we went to Tunbridge Wells, and mm-hmm. then we found an amazing site in in Bristol, which was a, a bit of a turning point. We raised some more money, um, uh, and we opened the. It was an old sugar refinery. It was derelict. It was a real. When I look back at it now, it was risky because we bought. 40,000 square foot of central Bristol for about 750,000 pounds. Wow. Um, uh, and, uh, but all the roofs were caved in. It was knee deep in dead pigeons and pigeon shit. And, you know, so yeah. it was a nasty old thing. Uh, but we opened it and, uh, and we had a bit of extra volume there. I think we had 40 bedrooms and, uh, and that really sort of gave us some impetus to get going. And then we opened Birmingham, the old eye hospital. That was 66 bedrooms. So, you know, we started sort of gaining a bit. Brighton, as you know, uh, which is just a unique little site there. I loved that site. Um, uh, And then we went to Harrogate and Henley was the last one we did. Uh, We were made an offer for the business by a company called MWB, who already had Malmaison in their portfolio. So they already owned Malmaison. People often say, oh, Malmaison um, uh, bought Hotel de Van. It's not quite true. Yeah. It was um, uh, MWB uh, bought us both and put us into the, into the same, uh, same um, you know, uh, environment. The interesting thing is um, Ken McCulloch uh, started Malmaison in 94, north of the border, Mm-hmm. I started Hotel de Van in 94, south of the border. We didn't know each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, we both ended up with French-named boutique yeah. hotels, slightly different in, in concept, but, but you know, broadly there was, a, there was certainly an affinity there. Um, and then they both end up together. There's, there's some sweet little, um, uh, you know, kind of... Uh, Serendipity. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, yeah. The, 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 they ended up there. So, yeah, I, I mean, it was a from MWB's point of view, it was a marriage made in heaven, really, that, that they got geographical spread. And these were things that in their mind could be replicated. And what did Ken go on to do? Did he do sport? Did he? he do sp- um, I can't remember. No, he did um, Columbus in, um, um, in uh, Monaco. Uh-huh. Um, and then he did um, uh, Hotel Dakota, wasn't it? Right, yeah. Because I was thinking, I was thinking about weirdly the spotted pig gastro pub in New York. Yeah, yeah. was that him? No, that oh. was April Broom, Bloomfield. Broomfield, right? Um, who? Um, but actually, that was influential in in us naming the pig the pig. Ah, okay. Well, that's a nice segue that I've almost lined you up for. So, yeah. What What about that then? So. You got away from that. Did you take a wee break or were you just straight back into something else? What happened? Um, no, we, we sold out in 2004, exactly 10 years to the day. Uh, we did we did well out of the, the sale, um, uh, which was nice because, you know, after all the, you know, kind of house being the guarantee Risk. for the business and, you know, we, we hadn't taken a lot out during that time. So that sort of settled us a little bit in terms of, uh, you know, financially. Um, and um, I had been a, 
Nick Jones had visited Hotel de Van in 95 and when he was looking to set up Babington. Mm-hmm. And he didn't, he'd never done a hotel at that stage and someone had told him to come and have a look at Hotel de Van. Um, we ended up chatting. I told him, leave the countryside alone, just go back to London and look after your lovies in Soho. <laughs> um, anyway, he rang me up three months later and said, um, look, you're the only person that didn't smoke, blow smoke up my backside. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, we like what you're doing. Would you join the board? So that was in 2005. So when we sold in, sorry, that was in 95. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. When we sold in 2005, I'd been a non-exec director with Soho House all that time. Um, he said, look, before you take on a load of other stuff, why don't you give us some more time and become chairman? So I, I became chairman of Soho House in 2004 until 2008 when we sold the majority stake to Richard Caring. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sort of sold myself out of a job, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's funny. It's, it's a, that's kind of what I do for a job. I go in and, you know, sort of put myself out of a job being a marketing person, you know, to go and fix it. And then I'm like, oh, I've got nothing else to do. I better leave. But what about being a chairman, though? Because that'll be interesting for people who haven't done it yet. And there'll be a lot of people aspiring to be an ed or be a chairman or chairperson or whatever. So with that, what, what did it entail? You know, was it kind of structured or not structured or what? Um, well, I think my role, uh, you know, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, Nick um, wouldn't mind me saying at all that, you know, through those early stages of, of Soho House, um, it was always a scramble for cash. You know, there was, there was you know, really constant expansion in one way or another, either here or overseas. And it was a constant scramble for cash. Um and inevitably, you know, we had different um, types of shareholders, private individuals, some funds, all sorts in there. And um, uh, I, I think my role was really trying to support Nick, but also f- forming the bridge between the shareholders and, 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 and the management, really. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just trying to ensure that, that um, uh, they weren't running in different directions and out of out of sync. I mean, also whilst I was with Nick, I mean, I took on a few projects for him, so I was working as a bit of an executive as well. So, mm. you know, I was in America for best part of three years, really. Um, you know, doing the deals on uh, LA, Miami, um, you know, and all that. So, brilliant. Uh, and and then you sort of thought, right, let's go again. Well, no, what happened is after after uh, Richard Carrion bought um, uh, the majority stake in Soho House, you know, I, I, I left and, um, and you know, I mean, they were very, very happy days. I, you know, Nick is one of my closest friends. I love him to bits. And um, uh, so, uh, you know, he's he's gone on to do just such ridiculously amazing things. Mm-hmm. Um but so I was, I was just, I was working uh, on the Miami project actually. And I got the call for, for, for Nick and um, I got the call from one uh, Jim Ratcliffe who, um, uh, as you know, from 
uh, you know, Ineos fame. Mm-hmm. Um, and he'd been working, he'd been developing a hotel in the New Forest, which is now called Limewood. Um, uh, but he'd been working on it with um, various individuals and the budget had sort of doubled from where he uh, he, he had hoped it would be. Uh, they they hadn't they weren't close to opening and uh we sort of knew each other vaguely our kids went to the same school uh together uh and he said i think we need a bit of help and maybe you know maybe you've got some time to to help us well the timing was pretty incredible really because of the what gone on at soho house and so um he said i don't think we really know how to open this uh, this property so mm-hmm. I went and had a look at it. It was then called, um, uh, what was it called? Uh, can't remember. Um, uh, anyway, we put together a strategy for it and, um, uh, and uh, you know, sorted out a timeline to opening. And uh, so, and then, you know, we managed to launch it pretty well. There were a few other properties with, within the portfolio of Limewood um, scattered around the new forest, which I was half, you know, half open, uh, restaurants that were losing money and different things, half finished restaurants. And, you know, anyway, I sort of closed things down and tidied things up. And there was one little hotel left, um, called Whitley Ridge in Brockenhurst. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, a sweet little hotel, but it's only got 16 bedrooms. Let's sell that. So I had it valued. And it wasn't valued at very much because it was losing money. Um, so um, I said, and I could see there was a bit of development potential. So I just said to Jim, I'll tell you what, I'll buy half of this and let's see if we can do something with it. So mm-hmm. in the end, I ended up um, sharing my half with a couple of others on the management team. And so we entered a sort of 50 50 arrangement. And um, the pig was born a few months later. Yeah. And in terms of, you know, getting such a name, like, you know, IP, URLs, all that sort of stuff, did you run into any other people that had hotels called that or anything that you could have ran into that was troubling from an IP point of view? Not really. Um, I had, my light bulb moment at, at the pig was, there was a kitchen garden there and I went went into the kitchen garden, I was looking around and there were sort of two carrots growing and a load of weeds and but I just thought oh maybe there's something where we could bring this right to the fore and do something around uh, around sort of sustainability and 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 um you know homegrown food and um and I wanted to at that time every country house hotel was was called the something something manor something something house hotel lawn hall whatever and I wanted to give it that sort of agricultural connotation, sound a bit like a pub because people aren't scared of pubs. And at that time people were a bit scared about going up the drive of a country house hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to make it much more approachable. I wanted to give it an agricultural feel for this kind of home, um, homegrown uh, idea. Um, and, and I was influenced by the spotted pig. I really liked that. There was a, that juxtaposition of something that sounds so agricultural in the middle of Manhattan kind of mm. appealed to me somehow. Uh, 
And for a long, long time, we started playing around with different names for pig, you know, wild pig, purple pig, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. every sort of pig you can imagine. And uh, in the end, David, my uh, co-director, he said, oh, for goodness sake, why didn't you just call it the pig? You can be done with that. <laughs> and, and, and that's that's how it happened. Um, but, of course, now uh, there are lots of other... Uh, properties that start to sort of copy. So we've got, you know, we've got uh, the newt, the fish, you know, in all those places, you know, mm -hmm. that, that I'm sure were influenced by, you know, our single animal name. <laughs> yeah, oh no, definitely. You know, you can see it popping up just in the style and the touches and, and all the rest of it. You talked about opening there. What would you say is the perfect opening? Thinking about marketing and ops and all that sort of stuff, you know, people would be interested to know what a great opening looks like. Well, you know, there are, there are sort of phases, obviously we've done a few now. So, I mean, getting, getting the team in place is really, um, you know, is really, really key. And, and what we try to do is mix in some, some of our own people with some new people as it were. So, mm. so that we try to get that culture going from day one, we spend an awful lot of time and effort on, uh, and uh, on training and, and and that onboarding of the first uh, of that opening team so, mm. so that process starts a few months out uh, trying to identify key roles and then working through the ranks as it were mm. um, the marketing um, obviously with an established brand as we now have uh, becomes a lot more logical so you know so you're letting out teasers into the press i mean we we tend to use we don't do any sort of paid advertising as such mm -hmm. we only ever uh use uh pr and our own uh, direct marketing uh capability and social media of course but uh but we don't we're not you know we don't take out advertisements in vogue or anything you know, so. <laughs> yeah um so um uh, so it's, it's, it's certainly getting getting that going, but we also pay a lot of attention to our local community. Mm -hmm. So um, we're teeing up our local suppliers, and through that you start talking to the community. And you know, if you do it right, then you can have thousands of locals who are very proud to have us in their patch that are doing the sales and marketing job for you. Yeah, you know, so. So that, that that process, obviously, then you've got to keep the project on track. And I always stick a, I put a stake in the ground at about three months out, which is sometimes quite scary because you know you you might not have a roof on the place. But yeah, yeah. Um, but and I put a stake in the ground and saying, okay, we're we're open on that day, and mm. and we don't deviate. Yeah. And, uh, and somehow you hit it. And. I sort of found, you know, I'm more restaurants than hotels in the main. But after that initial opening period, you maybe have a little dip again around three, four months, you know, sometimes six, depends how it's going. Is that just when it kind of clicks into business as usual marketing and, and you're using similar channels or have you got something else up your sleeve? Um, I think from a from from our perspective, you know, um, and I don't want this in any way to come over as, um, taking things for granted or arrogance, but there's there's quite a lot of pent up demand for for, for, for you know for for, for what we offer, mm -hmm. um, and when um, you know if someone calls our central reservations 
line, they, they want to stay at a pig. Um, to a large extent, they don't really mind where it is. Yeah. So they might ring up and say, we'd like to go to Dorset. Uh, Dorset might be full and we say, well, we have, you know, we have availability in Devon. So, so we can, we can backfill any space that we have. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it gives us the, the capability of bringing a new property online and using those sort of tactics. Plus, as soon as we announce to the, you know, we've got a, a lot of followers now. So, so as soon as we announce that uh, reservation lines are open, you know, I mean, we've broken more, um, uh, you know, links to our website than you can shake a stick at through, through that sort of thing, just through, it's a bit like, you know, when Glastonbury tickets go on, yeah. on, on sale, yeah. <laughs> it goes a bit nuts for a couple of days and, and um, we're never quite prepared for it, although we should have <laughs> We should have learned our lesson by now. Oh, I remember, remember we did that with lastminute.com. I was like lastminute.com for years and we did a TV ad um, and we spent a lot of money on it and uh, yeah, broke the site. <laughs> so it's just like, oh God, it's, it's a good problem to have in one way, but obviously you want to you want to capture that traffic. So I guess we've been introduced uh, lately through Hospitality Rising. So we've obviously got a big um, problem in our hands or, or, you know, certainly you guys have in, in terms of, uh, operators and people and all the rest of it and then Angela Hartnett OB as well has jumped in to, to, to help she's been brilliant at you know more telling people that they're going to invest rather than asking them which has been just formidable and amazing so you know what do you think of that um, project and you know why are you sort of getting behind it you know and I guess it's try and get across to other people as well you know why they should get involved well, first and foremost, Mark, thank you for 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 providing the impetus and initiative behind this because uh, you know it's it's a really worthy endeavour, and you know I applaud you for that. Thank you. Um, the you know what we have in 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 this country, we have a deep rooted problem around uh, the desirability of hospitality as a career um and in it and we really need a sort of root and branch overhaul of 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 this aspect and it goes right back to you know i was laughing earlier about you know kind of looking at the the brochure for a catering course you know when i'd failed my my o levels but literally, I think I was pointed to the corner of the room and said, I think there's a brochure over there somewhere and get on with it, you know. Yeah. Um, but we have a, it, w- within the UK, I think we have a, a, an inbuilt snobbery about craft. And uh, it's not just, it's not just hospitality. Um, it's everything, you know, we seem obsessed with, our little Johnny going to university, and it doesn't matter what ology he's he's um, he's studying, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter the quality of the university or anything else, so long as he's getting an ology. Yeah, Maureen um, Lippman. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, so that you know, the middle classes of the country can sit around on a Friday night saying little Johnny is at you know Slough University doing you know whatever. So. Whereas somehow we need to we need to evoke a similar pride in uh, the middle classes of this country, saying that little Johnny is 
doing an apprenticeship to become a master craftsman or a chef or a you know whatever yeah. the, the, uh, but but this you know this is as i say it's a root and branch problem mm. i mean i think your campaign is is one aspect of that and i absolutely applaud it and and you know and that's why we've got behind it we were, you know we were early adopters i yeah, think and, very very um and uh you know i really you know i wish it well and i hope you know you know i i really sincerely hope that you you achieve your objectives in terms of fundraising for this it's important but equally alongside that um you know there are a whole bunch of other aspects and it goes through um you know i think it should be uh, governmental i mean through through the pandemic we actually heard ministers talk about hospitality which is yeah. um you know often in the in unfortunate circumstances but but actually they they started getting hospitality on the agenda which i think was good you know we were involved in a campaign to try and get a, a minister for hospitality mm-hmm. um uh, we need to get um, uh, s- schools, uh, careers, advisors um, uh, on board with with the the opportunities, and and sometimes it's the the soft benefits or the the life benefits for for youngsters mm-hmm. that you know they can really you know they can really absorb through um, you know through um, through an early career at least in in, in hospitality. You know, there are so, you know, I see, you know, I've got so many examples I could give you that where youngsters has, have come to us a little bit lost yeah. uh, and have ended up uh, having sterling careers with us and just, you know, completely changing their, their mental health and, uh, you know, their sense of purpose, you know, just because they got stuck into to something that they really in you know, learn to love and and yeah. uh, and appreciate, and you know they love learning the practical skills and 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 uh, and indeed some of the more technical skills as well. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's not a quick fix this at all, and I think it requires determination through a whole raft of different aspects uh, of of life in the UK. Mm. Uh, but you know it's a bloody good start where you're what what you're doing mark and i really i really really hope that everyone else will uh, get on board with it because it's it's a you know it's a great initiative yeah thank you i'm i'm so excited about it i'm pumped it's the last thing see if you'd asked me two years ago would i ever have been interested in this it's the last thing i thought i'd be interested in but oh it's really gotten me you know it's really got under my skin but i think um i think you're right and, and i'm actually wanting my scope to sort of widen a little bit now where i know we need to get this away but i'm looking at it like a complete customer journey now yeah and as you're saying so much of it's broken all the way through so what i've been asking people to do and again anyone listening that can help would be great i'd love one sheet of paper that just tells me all the key points in an applicant journey from hire to retire and whether that doesn't get the job goes to training you know whatever it is and i want one name in every seat not five people try to do the same thing all the rest of it you know and i think something that we can do and i'm really excited about this the agency we've got running the creative is google's lead creative agency so you're not going to get better than that you know in terms of cutting edge bleeding edge thinking and all that we could be so gen z focused 
that we could actually disrupt the HR process that's broken. Because mm. we can do all the cool advertising in the world, but as soon as someone applies and it's, give me your cover letter, have you got a CV? These kids don't have a 15 second attention span, you know? Yeah. So I'm getting real fire in my belly about all the other bits. You know, I understand we need to get the first bit away, but I think it could be phenomenal. And with that modern thinking to blow it up, we could actually lead the world in the recruitment process and how it works. And, you know, so I, I think it's hell of an exciting, you know, but just touching on what you were saying there as well, it's it's great and it's exactly, I'm, I'm you know, starting to think about all these other creative ideas as well, where working in hospitality makes you a better person, full stop, you know? And I think Kate Nichols come up with this at one point when she was talking to me, and I thought it was great where it's, it'll make you a better barrister, it'll make you a better doctor, it'll make you yeah. a better husband, it'll make you a better whatever, because you're humble enough to serve someone and it gives you the people skills. And up at the NRB, I was out with one of the top guys at Green King, trying to persuade him when he was drunk to come on, obviously. <laughs> but uh, but he was great. And he said one of his friends, uh, kids, just started working in a pub. And it's exactly what you said. It's wee Johnny, whatever his name was. I've never seen that side to him. Yeah. You know, the, the parents are going, he's came out of his shell, he's more confident. So it's all, I think that's what we need to play on because we're not going to win on the money side of mm -hmm. things. Um, but we can win on all these other soft things. And I, I'm always a bit suspect on the quick career path because I don't think that's what everyone wants. So I think it's good to cater for people that want to come in for a bit and then yeah, jump on I mean. somewhere else or, you know, stay forever, whatever, you know, but, oh yeah, they're exciting. But, you know, we're, I think if there's a couple of big companies that are about to come in, I think that could be the tipping point. I think that could be the ball game, which is really exciting, you know? No, I think, you know, the notion that it's um, everyone's, you know, favourite first job sort of thing as mm. well is, you know, it should, it should almost be like national service, you know, everyone should do it. <laughs> It'll be it'll be great, you know. I mean, yeah, yeah. and these are life skills that you you learn that that um, you know, just nice to have. It's like driving a car, you know. It's just yeah. nice to have up your sleeve, frankly. Yeah. yeah. Well, like you said earlier, you know, if you can whip up a few cocktails and you know pour a good pint of beer, you know, you're going to be everyone's friend, aren't you? Yeah, but exactly. yeah. That could be exciting. Right, well, well, listen, I'll need to let you go in a wee sec um, because I know we've, we've been chatting for quite a while. Um, so there was hundreds and hundreds of questions I want to ask you and ones that people had sent in as well. But um, I better let you go in with your Friday afternoon. So a couple of things I was just wanting to know really uh, was sort of fun stuff. So uh, we call this Mark Out of 10 and we just have a wee bit of fun. So best city to eat in. And I won't let you have London if that's okay because everyone says London. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I was going to qualify. Uh, oh, okay. Well, okay. Well. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. Um, I love going to New York. Mm -hmm. um, I just think it's really exciting and, and not for any particular one restaurant, uh, but I just, you know, I, I just think is there's always, always something new happening. You know, I mean, even um, obviously, uh, you know, a British brand that you know well, but, you know, Hawksmoor just opening mm. there to great, you know, great fanfare but um you know every time i go there i never return to the same restaurant twice but you know i just i just love the energy of it and yeah. it's you know it's it's sort of um there is a uh there's a 
for much of New York that there's this sort of grungy energy that I really like. Mm. Um, the last time I went, actually, I hadn't been for a couple of years for obvious reasons, but um, uh, I, I go fishing quite a lot. Uh, saltwater fly fishing is my thing. Uh-huh. And um, we often transit through. I normally fish with Mark Hicks. Who, who, you oh, know, yeah. Um, we often transit through New York or Miami on the way somewhere. And uh, I remember we went uh, a couple of years ago to um, this great restaurant, Estella, um, which, um, you know, it's very accomplished food, but in, you know, quite grungy sort of surroundings. Um, you know, that that sort of, you know, it's much copied all over the world now, That, but that that kind of rough and ready urban uh, environment, uh, you know, really started in New York. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm heading there soon. Um, I think 9th of May. Oh, nice. I'm out for a few days and we're going to Hawksmoor. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we've got it all sorted. But at the moment, I'm stressing because I've got to plan food and drink safaris for okay. 20 people. So well, I'm you, the tour guide. You, uh, you get a chance to go to Estella. Uh-huh. Uh, write that down. It's, uh, it. it's on um, uh, Houston or something. I can't remember. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I'll definitely check that out for sure. Because I'm, I'm staying on a couple of days as well. And I'll do my wee Soho house tour while I'm there. I'm excited to see Dumbo. I've never been. So, yeah, it looks great. I can't swim, so that's half half the half the rooftop isn't for me, but <laughs> there we go. Um, okay, and best restaurant. Have you got a best restaurant in the world? I, I looked at this question this morning, actually. I didn't, I, 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 I suddenly thought I'd better read that <laughs> note that you sent me, but I looked at this and I thought, oh, God, where do I start? You know, but uh, so... It could be one of 20 different restaurants, but I've picked one um, uh, in uh, in Tuscany. Mm-hmm. It's called La Pineta, and it's on the Tuscan coast uh, in Bulgari. Um, and it's a sort of fish shack on, a, on, on, on the beach. Um, and um, it's now second generation. Um, uh, and it's it looks nothing from out from outside but you go in and it's quite a it's quite an old-fashioned restaurant really you know but a really fabulous wine list and they uh, you know they serve remarkable seafood but you know they're they've come up the first time i went there actually i went with with some wine guys and um you know the the old man just came up and said today you're eating turbot you know and, yeah. and then he just cut, you know it's i mean just fabulous uh, a wonderful atmosphere, very, very low key, particularly outside, but it's right on 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 a sandy beach. Fabulous. That sounds great. And best dish or meal? What's your go to thing? What do you love? Well, you mentioned Angela earlier, and and um, um, Angela's white truffle risotto probably would be my deathbed meal. Wow. I need uh, to need to try that one. A lot of people talk about River Cafe on the podcast about where they would go. So the other night I tweeted about it, and Angela's like, "Let's go!" <laughs> I was like, "Absolutely, <laughs> I'd love to go." <laughs> Angela, um, uh, you know, she's she's a good friend, and uh, I had a few years ago I had a a big old sixtieth birthday party, which was uh, in the form of a extraordinarily long lunch. <laughs> oh, lovely. And, um, uh, which was in a sort of old army marquee out, uh, you know, at the pig, 
And um, I just said to Angela, you know, if we get one of those big pile of pans, do you think you could knock up white truffle risotto for 160 people? <laughs> Which she proceeded to do in the middle of the tent on a burner. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Some talent. Some ta- so, sorry, was your 60th lately? No. That was oh, for a, a friend? Oh, for, for you? Oh, hey, what? Oh, oh, it's for, for a, it, was, it was yours about a few years ago, you said. Yeah, no, I've just had my 65th, actually. Oh, well, you're looking well on it, I have to say. Okay, so best drink, what's your go-to on that? It has to be red wine. Uh Um, uh, And, you know, I could go in any direction here. Um, uh, But um, I would probably go for... um, Probably a, 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 it might not be the most expensive bottle, or the but I'd probably go for a Super Tuscan. Had some great times in 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 in, in Italy, and you know I love those uh, those uh, you know the Super Tuscan wines of Guado Altasso and Tignanello, and uh, you know I love those wines. So uh, it would probably be a bottle of that. Nice. Okay, and then the last question then is, who is your dream dinner guest? Who would you want to take with you? Dead or alive, celeb or someone you know? Well, obviously, I have to to mention my wife. Of course. Um, but uh, uh, assuming um, uh, uh, assuming that um, maybe I could take her as well, mm-hmm. but um, but the um, I, I'm quite keen on the whole Americana thing, and and I'm fascinated by the the 60s so um you know i'd love to take one of the moon landing astronauts so buzz aldrin or uh, you know or, or michael collins or, or you know one of one of those guys um uh again american um probably from from uh, from a film perspective it would probably in uh, as a male it would be um steve mcqueen probably mm-hmm um a singer billy holiday very good yeah, yeah um uh yeah so um it could be any of any any of the above really <laughs> uh, uh you know i, I yeah uh, they'd all i'm sure they they've all got a few good stories to tell and judy obviously as well for everything you've put her through <laughs> <laughs> and judy yeah <laughs> I definitely owe her lamp. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what about the rest of 2022 then? What's it holding for you? What's the plans? Uh, 2022, um, uh, fingers crossed, I think we've just secured another site. Um, we um, uh, A really amazing, amazing site, which I'm super excited about that I can't talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but could be the most romantic hotel in, in England. Wow. Um, uh, so I'm just um, I'm just uh, waiting to nail that. Um, so that's that's pretty exciting. Uh, we've got quite a lot of small small bits of development through through the other hotels, um, adding a few rooms here and there. Um, and and just I I've always seen 2022 as a period of consolidation. To be honest. Um, you know, from, from, from the last few years, we came through the pandemic pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the demand is certainly very strong post pandemic, but you know, there's, we've been, you know, because of the, 
you know, the, the bumpy ride of the last few years, uh, last couple of years, you know, I'd really like to just have a nice, clean 12 month trading period where we, we, we do what we do best and, you know, uh, and, and, and try, you know, just try and support the team through that. Great. And then I'm seeing your Steve on Monday on a panel and then again next Friday, I'll be over visiting Arundel. So yeah, excited for that. Well, listen, I'll let you get on with your day. Thanks so much for being a guest today. It's a really big deal for us. And um, yeah, I'll catch up with you soon. Mark, thank you very much. And thanks again for everything and good luck with Hospitality Rising. And for anyone, anyone that's listening just at this second, um, it would be fantastic if you would find out more about this fabulous initiative and get behind it. So there we go. What about that? That was an enjoyable episode. I was slightly nervous um, because I respect Robin so much and I know he's so busy and I was just so glad to have him on for the show. Huge thanks to you for listening. I really appreciate you tuning in. We'll be having a few last episodes perhaps and then we'll take a wee break for the summer, I think, and we'll come back in the autumn stroke winter. Things are getting busy client-wise, which is great. Things are getting busy with hospitality rising too. A huge thanks to our sponsors Tipjar and Saved by Robots for being our Scottish brethren and helping us along every single week, supporting us with everything that we do with the Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Huge thanks to Gaz and Gabby as well for all they do to put the show together. Thanks for all your help. So this is me, Mark McSee, signing off. Bless you. Thanks for listening. And I hope that this episode has given you the value, the inspiration and the insight that you need to make your brand boom. Boom.